Hello, and welcome to Drop and Get the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Black Widow. Yes, the, the much anticipated Black Widow. The triumphant return of Marvel to cinemas is a film that fills in plot holes after Civil War. Oh, is it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's set after the Sokovia Accords, right? right? So that's when, after Age of Ultron, oh god, I'm already sounding like a nerd, but after Age of Ultron, that's when they blew up the thing in the sky and caused a lot of death. Right. The Sokovia Accords were about reigning in the Avengers, saying we're going to have a legal framework, and Civil War was about some of the Avengers thought that was a good idea, others didn't. And it never occurred to me that like there was more story to be told in the middle, but apparently, you know, Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, went off after that, and you were left with questions as to what she got up to. Well, this film explains what she got up to. And what it is, is a family reunion with the family she was placed with, the family that was built out of undercover Russian Soviet agents. Mm. David Harbour's the dad, Rachel Weisz is the mum, Florence Pugh is the sister, and Scarlett Johansson is Black Widow. And they were an undercover Soviet family in the US. And what mm. you see at the start of the film is them escaping, having completed their mission, and being sent to Soviet Russia. It's a real melodrama that doesn't trust melodrama. Ah. Yeah. So it has all of these elements of melodrama, right? Children abandoned, children abused, children manipulated... Mm. The unfairness of life if you're poor or, <laughs> or genetically gifted. Uh, but it never, ever, ever attempts to move one to tears at the injustice of it all. right? So it has that same kind of offhand comic vein that you see in all the Marvel films. And I thought it was a pity, you know, because... I thought it... Like, the film is so interesting. It's a very feminist film, obviously, and it's also about the family, right? And what is a family? Absolutely. And having two families and so on. And yet, it could have been very moving and gripping to an audience had the film chosen to go that way. But it's almost like it's scared to. It has like so many elements that are already not usual in uh, Marvel films that it kind of backtracks a little bit. What elements do you see as not being usual to Marvel films? Well, you know, all of the feminist stuff, all the focusing on women. I mean, you know, everything is focused on women. I thought initially that they wouldn't even have a male um, love interest, except then, of course, the David Harbour character, Captain Crimson, or whatever his name is. <laughs> the Red Guardian. The Red well, he's Guardian. not a love interest. He's her sort of surrogate dad. Well, no, but it's a love interest for Rachel Weiss. Sure. Okay. I mean, towards the end, it is right. Like they were yeah. pretending to be a family, and but then they know. sort of say, actually, we did. There was more to it than just yeah. pretending. Yeah. yeah. So, but they're obviously into each other. Yeah. So, um, the film is very much about sisterhood. Mm. You know, they're at the focus of it. I even think the film would have been better had it finished on that final embrace with the sisters, right? And not gone on to explain so much afterwards. Mm. Um, well, that's that's one of the things that a, that a plot-heavy series does, is it, it keeps trying to fill in everything, tie things up, add more things in. So, I do know what you mean. I didn't mind that so much, though. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose I didn't mind it. I, I just thought it was a missed opportunity. Yeah, know, it would because, have been a little bit more fitting. Yeah, and more kind of poetic and powerful, right? Mm. Like, you dissipate that when you begin to add this, and then there's this, and then there's this, and actually none of it is really quite satisfying. You're just adding more and more yeah. plot, you know? 
the feminism thing that you say that's that's something that Marvel hasn't kind of started doing before. That's been a recent development, right? The kind of common criticism of Marvel for a long time and one that this film addresses is that all of these characters have had their individual stories told and some of them in two or three films and Black Widow as a main Avenger never did. And now she gets her own film after she's dead in the main story. You know, this is going back and filling in who she was and what she had, what things she got up to. Um, I think, I think to me, it's also a bit late for the Black Widow. I mean, so Marvel was very cowardly. I mean, you know, they could have done this 10 years ago, and if they had done it 10 years ago, it might have been a little bit different, mm-hmm. right? But instead, we had Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel, yeah. and we had Wonder Woman, two films, and, you know, so, and they all were, like, incredibly popular. And also, what is that group one? Um, Guardians with, of the Galaxy? Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh but also the one with the Joker and uh, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad, which featured Harley Quinn. Yeah, right. You but know. it's like, important to point out that DC with Wonder Woman and Suicide Squad, yeah, you know, are, are they different? They're a different series. They're different. I know, but what I'm saying is, it really is Marvel that reignited the popularity of the superhero oh, genre. Sure. Absolutely. Right. So they actually could have done one focused around the women. Like, you know, 10 years ago at least. Yeah. Uh, and so this has been a long time coming. I'm really shocked that there were still arguments about it. Yeah, that kind of it wasn't a given that somebody like Black Widow would get her own film mm. until quite recently. So I think in a way they behaved kind of shamefully. I also think that, so what, what I'm thinking aloud here, but what I'm saying about the missed opportunity is... I remember reading, you know, Black Widow comic books or Black Widow in comic books because it was a while when she, in the 70s, when she seemed to appear in many of them. And of course, you know, the thing about her is that she was almost like a Bond Russian spy. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was like her ability to seduce and, yeah, kind of, and fight. Mm. Um, But, you know, uh, uh, her femme fatale characteristics you know, that were often kind of highlighted in those comic books. Um, And I would have liked to have seen, and this, you know, might just be a prejudice of mine, but I would have liked to have seen kind of Scarlett Johansson draw on, you know, I mean, she has done quite a bit of this, and she, you know, she is like a femme fatale character. But also it's a way of of highlighting women's brains, rather. So it's not just sexual desirability, Mm. right, in a character like the Black Widow, sexual desirability tied to brains, yeah? yeah. Mm. And I think the recent iteration of Black Widow is too fight-heavy and too little attention to brains. Mm. Yeah, maybe the case. I mean, I, I always just kind of thought that she, the way that she's been utilised in the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been second to everybody else. And now yes. she's the film even makes reference to that when Florence Pugh says she says something like I was hoping to get one of the main Avengers in after you. She's like, what do you mean one of the main Avengers? You know? So you know you might have a point that that her intelligence in particular is something that's been underutilized, but she has been underutilized. And actually her sexuality has been underutilized. The main thing she has done is fight and kind of back other people up. Well Florence is very funny about, you know, saying that pose where you spread your legs and throw your hair back, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and actually, yeah, it's kind of, it's funny because it's true. I think she has been used 
sexually, yeah, and I, I believe there are stories about Scarlett Johansson having to fight, you know, her, yeah, the, the use of her merely as, yeah. you know, an object of desire. But I, I think it's unfortunate that that has, or that has been overcome only in relation to physical fighting skills or, mm. you know, whereas actually I think there's a lot more that could be done with just being smart, you know. Yeah. There are a number of things in this film that seem to be kind of generally related, but also quite generally expressed. And these are themes to do with individual thinking and the abuse of women and control yes. of women, control of actions. And they, they kind of, these are separate things, but they also tie together. Um, one of the themes that I thought the film was going to really leap at that would, that would be a way of tying it together is the idea of America versus the Soviet Union. And actually... It did, a, it did less of that than I thought. The reason I thought it was going to do a lot of it was because at the start, in the pre-credit sequence, when the young girls, they're like six and nine mm. years old or whatever at the time, are being taken out of Ohio where they've grown up in this, in this spy family, this undercover family. They've been taken back to the Soviet Union. In fact, they're going to be taken to the Red Room, which is this mm. indoctrination of women kind of place where they turn into the, the Red Sparrows, if you mm. like. Natasha, Black Widow... Says she says I like it in Ohio. I like it, you know. And I thought this is going to be this kind of well, that's you know, because she's American, and that's mm. and the thing about America is freedom, and it's freedom of thought, you know. Americans are very really keen on their freedom, yeah. and the Soviet Union, <laughs> the Soviet <laughs> Union, you know, doesn't have any freedom. And the idea of it being like a hive mind, you don't have any free, you can't think for yourself, you can't be your own person in the Soviet Union. Like it's not, it, it's a, it's been a common theme, and and it's not to say that that it's never been true, but it's always been very, very simple to the point where it's become just a trope of the way the Soviet Union is represented in American cinema. It's just this very generalised hive mind enemy that represents this way of life that is opposite to American, mm. the, the ideal American way of life, if you like, and everything that's written down in, you know, the life, life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness does not exist in the Soviet Union. And that's what, that's the Soviet Union as represented on film on American film, historically, it's like it's it's that simple, right? Yeah. It's not to say it's not true, but it's never very complex, and it's 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 coding, really. Um, it's always very self-congratulatory as well. Yeah, well, this is what I expected more of the self-congratulatory stuff actually, mm. and actually, I think maybe it's just that it's because there's no real there's no real mention of America, right? This is these are Russian people, mm. and even though one of them has you know defected to Shield and it, American and everything. Um, these are Russian people fighting a very particular enemy of yes. their own within the Soviet Union. So, so I'm glad that I'm glad that it didn't have this 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 overtone that mm -hmm. it really could have had. Of we're going to go back to America where things are good. You know, it yeah, really yeah, could yeah. have. Had, it didn't have that. Um, it well, still yes. does have a very kind of simplified, kind of tropey version of of Soviet Russia. But I do think that it brings out these ideas of control of women in fairly interesting ways. If, again, maybe a little bit simple, but still, you know, the, the idea that you're talking about of, of sisterhood and the idea of um, freeing all of these women who have been brain controlled with this chemical. Yes. Well, I, I, I like that very much. I mean, you know, so we saw it in a cinema mm. uh, that was quite empty. But in which there were maybe 20 boys. Yeah, yeah, like 
10 or 11 year old boys yeah like I was going to say tweens mm. and I mean there were moments where I thought oh kind of this is not going down well because you know they seem to be jumping all over the place and going to buy popcorn and running here and there and then you know there were moments that the film seemed to grip them and at the end they all applauded right which yeah. surprised me in the light of their previous <laughs> behavior and one of the things that I kept thinking throughout is well why are there no teenage girls at the screening yeah you know because uh, it's a film that it, in many ways seems to be made for them mm. right and also I wonder what teen girls who have seen it think of this film mm. yeah because there were, there were things that I thought would go down very well there were things that I thought what was Marvel thinking of really because you know the, there are very um, tactful images yeah but you do see like these so you're given a bit of background these girls are abducted right and then there are just almost like photographic image of these you know tween girls and they there's nothing sexual about the images but they suggest it right they suggest like what's the word what's the word when you know women are bought and sold really um sexual slavery well, um, yeah, that trafficking. too. Trafficked, yeah? You know, which has been like the bane of the world, but particularly in Europe. I mean, I've seen all these documentaries on television, you know, from the BBC about, you know, how uh, 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 Eastern European women are kidnapped and drugged and trafficked, you know, all the way from like England to, to Turkey. Mm. And some of those images had those suggestions, right? The alcohol, the cigarettes. Mm. Yeah, so there was nothing sexual about about them, but it kind of conveyed that sense of sexual trafficking. Yeah. Uh, and I did think this is a bit too strong for teen girls, you know? Though maybe not. Is it being used ethically? I thought it was, you know, because I do think the film... The film almost deals with, like, every major feminist issue of the last 20 years, I mean, you know, there's the thing about forced sterilization, which the, you know, yeah. the film goes quite lengths about it. It posits the problem as being like an international one. So it's not about this culture or that culture. It's about yeah. patriarchy by power. Uh, I thought that, you know, I thought all of those things were really in a way quite amazing. Yeah. That kind of, I mm. liked seeing them, but I did wonder, yeah, how, how they were going to go with the audience. Uh, and whether there was a, di a gender difference in how they played, right? Mm -hmm. um, but obviously we didn't get a chance uh, to see that. And as I said, I do think that I would have liked to have seen the film try to earn tears and not just laughs and thrills, yeah? It tries to earn tears at the very end, but not with anything. What it tries to earn tears with is reunion of the family and the realisation that I do have a family and that I love these people and so on. And... And I don't actually mind that as a resolution to the story of these four well. people, yeah. but it's overly soppy. It didn't work well. It um, wasn't well done. Exactly. Like the the concept is is fair. I think the I, th I think the kit, the core concept of this bizarro family reunion is a really strong one. Well, and it mostly works. It gets soppy at the end. That's you know, where it falls apart for me. Well, I'm contradicting myself because on the one hand, I'm saying the film should have gone further with that. Mm. And on the other hand, I'm saying what it does do with that doesn't work very well. 
Yeah. You know, but yet the whole film is set up around it. So it's not a contradiction. I, really... I think what you're saying is the film should have done it better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was right to pursue it because I think it's a good idea because actually the film, there are so many areas that the film is tropey. And in fact, the film refers to Bond at one point. Yes. You know, directly. like quite deliberately, she's watching a Bond film with a, uh, is it Blofeld? Whoever it is, some Russian guy. You know, yeah, and, it is Blofeld. Um, but it's, it's doing it as reference. And, you know, Bond is in this film. You know, Bond is in Bournemouth. Bond is in all of these spy stories. So, sure. like, you can't avoid it. The film is pointing that out to you. And so it has all these tropey elements. But the thing that is original to it that I don't think I've seen before is this idea of the family reunion. In fact, you've seen family the, the, the family um, spy story. You've seen it in The Americans in the mm. TV show, for instance. Mm. But but the idea of it of them coming back and having this kind of dual relationship as people who grew up together and also a sp- <laughs> an action spy team. Mm. That's an interesting combination that I enjoyed. And I think the f- it was a smart... And it's more daring than that, because actually none of them, unlike the Americans, none of them are biologically yeah. tied, right? You know, so they're all distinct people. They all have a different background, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the kids obviously had no idea that these weren't their real parents at some point, right? Or that they weren't biologically related to each other, right? So, you know, the idea that a family like the Avengers you know, is also made on a more nuclear level and that the attempts to make it actually leave a residue, an emotional residue that's important. All of that, I think, was really terrific, you know? Yeah. Um, and I enjoyed that very much. I want to say a couple of things about the cast because I love Scarlett Johansson. And really, I think there are some shots which is just so incredibly beautiful. I don't know who did the cinematography, but the film really treats its women well so you know i think uh, all of them come across as incredibly beautiful visually the faces yeah mm. though i think rachel vice is betrayed a few times and it's not just because she's older right because actually you know i love her and i think you know there are some scenes where she's just incredibly beautiful and then there are scenes where she's together with Scarlett Johansson, so she's filmed at an angle. Mm. And then you think, oh, you, you can find a way of making them both look good, right? The film is both careful about how it films them. Mm. You know, so there are moments where they all seem incredibly beautiful and sexy. And also, it's not consistently careful, right? Mm. And that applies to all of them as well. So, for example, uh, Florence Pugh has an oddly shaped face. Right, so from some angles she's incredibly beautiful. From other angles she looks putty, right? Like you know, and underdeveloped, right? Um, Scarlett Johansson the same thing. I mean, she's obviously beautiful and she's got this incredible body, but actually the film has chosen some angles where they make her seem short and squat, right? <laughs> like you know, and she is like a kind of you know a, a, an action figure. There are different ways, yeah, that, mm. to have filmed her that don't do this to these stars really. I don't think Florence Pugh's got an oddly shaped face. She's not the elephant man. I'm not saying... <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that she's very beautiful in some sequences, but yeah. she does have an oddly shaped face. She's not somebody who can be photographed from any angle yeah, <laughs> and look equally beautiful. No. She doesn't, right? Uh, and you can see it in the film. I mean, kind of... It's it, well, it didn't occur to me. I'll put it that way. It never okay. occurred to me that, that... I mean, I thought she looked consistently great the way she was shot. All right. Okay, well, um, I didn't. I mean, I thought, you know, that she looked incredibly beautiful in some sequences, right. 
And then, kind of, you know, they, there wasn't enough care in others. I had a few problems with... I, I think the film has a real problem with timing and parallel action. So the film will split up the characters and have them going off on their individual plot strands in these action sequences that then they, they cut between the four characters. Except they don't do it... It doesn't do it consistently. And it doesn't... David Harbour, in particular, has these two kind of parts in action scenes where he's just kind of forgotten about. So they go and rescue him from prison, from this gulag. And the whole start of that sequence is about him escaping. And he's being led out by the girls in the helicopter who've got an earpiece with him. And then when they get outside and there's this kind of riot, they, the film just forgets about him. You know, he's trying to get up to the helicopter and escape from this riot. And like that should be a consistent part of the action. But the film just forgets him for a bit. And then you catch up with him again. It also does it with him again when he fights... I think the character's name is Taskmaster, which is the, the, the mimic, kind mm. of robot type villain. Um, you know, you're introduced to them, they're going to have a fight, and then there's one shot in the middle of a lot of other stuff later on where you catch up with them having a bit of a fight, and then the next time you see them, Rachel Weisz comes in and helps finish the fight. And like, it's not too little precedence given to him. He is subsumed, forgotten in the action. I think he's forgotten throughout the film. I mean, he's he's almost like a one-joke character, basically. Yeah, so his joke is that he's reliving past memories. He used to be the Soviet's equivalent to Captain America, the Red Guardian, and he wishes he still was that, but he's too fat and old, and it was never really all that true. I mean, his best bit was the bit in the Russian prison mm. at the beginning that introduced him. And then he plays the same joke over and over again, and it kind of doesn't work or it doesn't sustain itself right like you know i suppose it's it's the film's way of giving women precedence and priority you know but i think it could have done that and made the character more interesting it could have made him evil still yeah. right or an antagonist in this yeah and just made it all the more interesting there's no reason why you know that didn't happen really um, the other thing that didn't work with him is his because he's not just the one joke He's mostly that one joke. But the other thing is his part in the relationship between him and his surrogate family. Um, when they all come together at Rachel Weiss's place and they're talking it over and, and, and arguing and what have you. It's sort of clear that he loves the girls. And actually he did love the girls and, and he cared for them as a dad. It's clear from the first shot, basically. Yeah. And that Rachel Weiss doesn't quite see it that way. But again, as the film goes on, you do get understand more... Why. Yeah, well, you understand that she, she, it, it isn't necessarily the case that she didn't feel that way, but she was more about the mission or mm. whatever it might be. But it is inconsistent, and actually, it's unfair that it's that it's kind of forgotten about because the girls kind of reject him, right? He, I think fairly initially, you know, he says, "I loved you" and all this, and they feel terribly betrayed by everything that happened when they were used mm. as kids, even though it wasn't necessarily him that was using them. You know, mm. um, the explanation given wasn't very good. It was basically like, well, you know, it was the job and I have to return to it or something stupid like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so um, the film is showing you him going to grab the doll, realizing that he's in danger by this gesture, yeah, and then not, not continuing it, right? Yeah. But the explanation that is given subsequently, it was, was not good. Well, I think the problem for me is that it, it starts off with this promising thing about the guy who did actually care for the girls and is trying to negotiate around convincing them of that and, and trying to and trying to just trying to work through what the relationship was and can be. That's interesting, but the film just kinda drops it. 
to the point where at the end, when you've got Natasha walking off, having realised that she has these two families now, she has her surrogate Russian family, and she has the Avengers, you feel like, but you had the opportunity to actually express that with him, because he's the one who really seems to believe it at points, and it just didn't. Yeah, and actually the film does give an explanation, because he returned to whatever the organisation is called, only to be immediately put in jail for 30 years or whatever. Mm. Right, so there was nothing he could do, right? But his feelings are made clear. So actually to not have some better interaction between all the characters around those issues is a problem. And actually, again, very significant. You know, those scenes in the house with the family bickering are the scenes where all the boys started running off for popcorn and they were bored out of their minds and you could tell it wasn't working at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, and those things have real potential to be interesting and well-written and so on. Actually, the problem I felt with those scenes was visual. Um, I didn't think the film had much of a sense of how to organise the space visually and make it interesting. It just kind of sits around this table, then it separates them into a couple of different rooms and there's just a lack of there's a lack of, I don't know, tone. I don't know well, what it is. I thought the action scenes lacked wit. Wit, to me, is mm. the word. Right? Because it is just big things exploding or, you know, you're used to seeing this type of action sequence. There's nothing new about it. It's not particularly badly done, you know, but it's done without wit. Right? Like, you know, there's nothing exciting or innovative or new about the way that Black Widow fights back or, you know, something that she thinks of to defeat the machine or, yeah, like, each of those things, yeah, it could have been, like, uh, you know, like, in in a dance, the step that you're not expecting, yeah, that kind of changes the thing. Mm. There was none of that, right? Like, it was very much by-the-book action, I thought. No, and I was also thinking about why Black Widow is boring and as a character, and I was thinking, actually... It's so it's so normal for action heroes, superheroes, to be uh, like pretty po-faced, you know. So I was thinking she has no banter, right? So when she's hanging out with Florence Pugh early on and getting to know her again, I suppose Florence Pugh, as you said, is taking the piss out of her. She yeah, sends I her loved her. And Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, has no banter. She has no comeback. It's when she says, "Why why do you do this um, this pose?" As you said, you're getting down on the ground and lifting your head up. Why do you do this all the time? It's like you're you, it's like you're think people are watching you. Mm. And instead of coming back with a line, what she says is something like, "I was trying to do good." And you're like, "That's not banter. No, boring." But then it made me realise like it's, this isn't just a problem with Black Widow. Actually, every Marvel character apart from Tony Stark, has no banter. And the reason that the Avengers films work when they all they get together is because what Tony Stark does is just walk around antagonising everybody. Yes. If he wasn't there to put a bit of life in, it really wouldn't... They wouldn't work the same. Well, though, I don't know. I mean, I saw Ant-Man recently, and it is full of jokes. Oh, yeah, and, Ant-Man's got a bit of you that, know. Yeah. Um, so oh, no, no, yeah, they do have jokes. I mean, I'm not saying that, but like, but actually the main characters aren't the ones who bring it a lot of the time. It's it's the sidekicks and it's the villains. They're yeah. the ones who have fun. No, it's true. And it's a shame in particular about this film because actually I think this is a film that shies away from the Black Widow's sexuality. I think, you know, it's almost like they've made a project of not sexualizing her. Mm. Whereas, you know, in the comic book, the thing that made the Black Widow such a fantastic character is that she had it all, <laughs> right? Mm. She used every aspect of who she was, 
right? And, you know, that included, like, you know, seduction and her smarts and her looks and her skills. And, yeah, this is all about fighting, right? And so it's, it's, mm. it's reducing this great character to just one aspect of what she can do, which is the fighting. Well, there is also this thing, but I think this is badly done, of... Um, so Ray Winston's the big baddie who controls all these women and runs this, this project, this Red Room. And they get into his sort of computer system by putting on masks like Mission Impossible, pretending... Um, so this is the thing. It's the thing about severing the nerve. This is the line that was playing on my mind you realise that when Scarlett Johansson looks like she's been captured by Ray Winston, actually she meant to be there, and there's this thing about she can't attack him, he feels very safe around her, because he has this pheromone that he puts on himself, mm. and she is conditioned to not attack him when she yeah. smells it. And that applies to all of the Black Widows. Yeah. But then you see, as you cut back at one point in this kind of revelation to... Uh, Rachel Weisz and Scarlett Johansson planning the whole attack. They know this. And there's this thing about you have to sever the nerve. right? Sever the nerve that actually makes the olfactory system function in this way. If you can sever the nerve. So I was thinking, have they actually severed the nerve? Because, I mean literally physically in her brain. Because that line comes up when you see a close-up of Scarlett Johansson's face with blood running out of her mm. nose. So is that because they've actually done some surgery on her? Or is it because she's been beating in the face by Ray Winston just well, now? It's, we, we find out the answer. Well, I'm not sure that we do. I no, think we do, we do, we do. Yeah, because it actually hasn't been severed, and then she's got to bang her own head to sever it. Well, yeah, but the, but the thing is, then she says a line that's something like, I have to finish it myself or something, which is which is like could imply that they did try and do this and they didn't get it right. It, it I th To me, that was all very unclear, actually. Um, well, because no, I, I thought... Cause, I mean, to me, it was clear because he'd, 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 yeah. he'd hit her. She was taunting him to hit her, right, with the idea of severing that nerve, and then she has to do it herself I guess that because must he be didn't... He didn't beat her up well enough. <laughs> I think, no, I think you must be right there because, but, but actually, that still makes no sense because how would you rely on being hit in the face by a cockney like that would sever this one particular nerve that you need? That's nonsense. That's so the, the point is, I think that was very badly explained, badly expressed because I also thought that maybe sever the nerve could be metaphorical, like sever his connection to all these women that he controls. I thought that's what it could also mean. That's why I just think it just. I thought that is really badly done. Whatever well, they were trying to do hasn't worked. I think I... that is true of the film as a whole. Because, you know, that bit where she goes off to Iceland, right? And, mm. you know, and they give you all this explanation. Which, you know, normally is the basis for suspense, yeah? It sets up a horizon of expectation for the audience, right? You have, you know, this much fuel, this much... Yeah, you have to change the toilet in this time, <laughs> yeah? And then in, like... One second, everything changes, right? Yeah. yeah. And then she's driving her car, and then this thing comes out of nowhere, right? And I thought, yeah, like, kind of, you know, that's just not on, really, and it's not fair, and, like, you have the, the rug thrown from under you as an audience, and then all of these things kind of seemingly to come out of nowhere, right? So I thought that was all very, very poorly done. I'm not sure I agree with that. I, um... 
I mean, what you're saying about, or at least what I think you're saying, about the film kind of setting up what is a more grounded spy story, like in the vein of the Bourne films, for instance, travelling across Europe, having multiple identities, you know, trying to get by by the skin of your teeth in safe houses, that is what, like, ends at that point where the car explodes. You know, then you're just into more action, basically, and and more sci-fi. That's true, but I'm just saying the film could have made more of that, right, because... You know, she arrives in Iceland, and in one second she's out of Iceland because she's had the fight with this machine. And yeah, no, sure. So I think so. Yeah. Like the the idea that that the film is setting up what is going to be this particular type of film, and then doesn't do it, is a little bit disappointing because I liked where it was going with that with that yes, style of tone. Um, but I don't think it's unfair that I don't think the car explosion is unfair. Well, I think what's unfair is that she's driving. Yeah through that bridge and then this thing appears out of nowhere and blows her out out of the well that's the point it comes out of nowhere it comes out of nowhere for her too I don't find that unfair Mm, well it's thrust upon her she thought she was safe and then this thing a thing that you haven't seen or maybe we'd seen it but she certainly hasn't which is this taskmaster character a new thing emerges what am I going to do about this well no okay you've convinced me because it's (laughs) true it comes out of nowhere and it comes out of nowhere for her so, okay, fair enough. Um, you know, we're making so many criticisms and I'm trying to think, well, you know, kind of, I didn't have a bad time at it. So no, what, are, what, are, what are the good things about it? But I must say, I'm also having problems coming up with good things. I, I agree with that as well. You know. Um, and I, I also wonder if it's something about Marvel in general, because at least for me, whenever a Mission Impossible film appears on television, mm. I, I stop and watch it. Yeah. You know, whenever a Marvel film appears on television, I don't. Mm. You know, and usually it's the kind of thing I love. I love superhero films and I love Marvel. You know, like I grew up with the comics. I love it. And yet there's, you know, there's something. And and I found the films often quite satisfying. Yeah, kind of, you know, there there are very few of the films that... Actually, I don't think there's any film that I've said, ugh, it was terrible. You know, there were some that I liked more, some that I liked less. Mm. But I've liked them all, and yet there, there's something telling that I'm not willing to rewatch them, even if in sections. Yeah, I know what you mean. I have rewatched them all because I because I did do uh, it was a while ago. I think it may have been before um, the last uh, uh, might have been before Endgame. I watched them all in a big row because I also hadn't seen the Thor films, mm. and it was entertaining. And there were lots of bits that I liked and remembered and stuff. But but there's very little that's truly grabbing. And it's funny that you mentioned Mission Impossible because. Mission Impossible Five was on telly the other day, and I, I um and I very rarely watch live TV. Mm. Basically, if I watch live TV, it's sports or Taskmaster, which is it happens to be the name of a great TV show that I watch that isn't the villain in this. I normally don't just have the telly on. You know, I'm watching something deliberately. I've put on Netflix or a movie or what have you, and I just went on to Channel Four, and it was like half an hour into Mission Impossible Five. And I didn't expect to stick around, but I totally did. Yes. And it was a really great feeling as well, actually. Yes. Even though you also have to sit through the adverts because it's on commercial TV, you don't mind doing it. Yes, it grips you. I couldn't do that. I wouldn't have thought I would ever do that with a Marvel film. Well, it's very interesting the films that do and the films that don't. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was a period where Mr. and Mrs. Smith was showing all the time. <laughs> yeah. And every time I was showing, I'd watch a few minutes of it because actually I thought it was so clever and the action was so well done. Yeah. And the stars were so magnetic, Brad Pitt and Angelina, really. You know, they were so beautiful to look at. So it always stopped me. Yeah. And actually, again, it's one of those films that I'd enjoyed in the cinema, but I hadn't thought too much of. Mm. You know, but the, yeah, but why do certain films kind of grab you like that and others don't? And the surprise is that a film 
that is meant to be a non-stop grab like any of the Avengers yeah. films doesn't really do it to me yeah they actually do end up being kind of just your latest installment of plot development yeah um, and it seems hugely diminished on television as well mm. yeah I agree did you ever watch um, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show I tried yes I did watch quite a lot of it actually did yes. you is yeah. it alright then um, it's, it. it's completely forgettable. I mean, <laughs> you know, though I noticed that one of the stars of that has reappeared in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Uh, the, the blonde woman, Van something or other. Oh, I don't know. Um, but the thing, there's nothing... I wonder if we're looking at the decline of Marvel now. Well, this is the thing. I started off by saying, you know, their triumphant return to the cinema is a film that fills in backstory as opposed to a continuation of the story, as opposed to, you know, jumping in and getting a head start and moving forward. Mm. That's not what this film does at all. And that's, that's, it may not be deliberate, you know, it's just an issue of timing, really. This is the latest film they had to come out. So I know, like, the thing is, it, it hasn't... I still had a good time, as you said, even though I'm trying to... It's hard to actually work out what in particular was really contributed to that good time and it hasn't dampened my interest in seeing more of the Marvel films as they no. continue to come out though I haven't found any interest in watching the TV shows though another interesting point you know because I'm trying to be measured here <laughs> and not just knee jerk but I laughed more at what was it called the bodyguard the hitman's wife's bodyguard the hitman's wife's bodyguard I had a better time at that than I did at this even though you know this is the more expensive film, the one that seems more carefully thought through, the more politically, um, the one you know who are, who is more in tune with my politics, you know, has more progressive politics and so on and so forth. Mm. But actually, I had a much better time at that, you know, yeah. with Salma and you know. But I think I think you know the idea of being more in tune with your politics. I'm not sure that the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard isn't really, but the thing is, it's possible to be edgy or snarky or sarcastic and still have the right politics. The thing that Marvel is doing is being very po-faced about it. Yeah, and, and quite tokenistic actually as well. Yeah. When So you're thinking about Sisterhood because they have all these other girls who have been brainwashed who they managed to free and when they show up at the end they come back for them the one who is given to introduce or, or, or speak for the group is a black woman and, like, and, the, and it does feel like it feels tokenistic, right? Sure. No, no other character in the film is black. Okay, the family can't be because they always had to be white because that's what made them a family. Yeah, it makes sense. But like the one opportunity that a different character has, mm. they go, okay, well, she must be, she must be black. And it, it really, it's like that bit in, in Endgame, where all the women get their one moment to, you know, remember when they're mm. like they're, they're they're getting, is it the glove, whatever fucking MacGuffin it was they're running off with it and it gets passed between all the female characters and they get that shot where they all get to stand together and you're like, oh, women, women are in this film too. They get a moment. There's quite a lot of that going on with Marvel and Disney and and a lot of it is ultimately welcome but just badly executed with not a lot of intelligence or wit or creativity. Hmm. No, I think that's right. Um, so, anyway, a pity. Yeah, like a pity, but still we had a good time. I could recommend it. You know, it's a nice time at the cinema. Yeah, yeah, it's not wasn't that, bad. Do you know what I mean? I know, but <laughs> I think that's not good enough, really, because, you know, there are very, very few films that I get so bored at or, you know, mm. that I want to walk out of the cinema. Yeah. Oh, is that what you felt with this? Well, no, I didn't think it was like, te- I didn't think it was horrible. Yeah. 
but I just think it wasn't good either. Mm. Like, you know, I of all of these films that I've seen recently, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, the latest Fast and Furious, you know, I actually would rank this... Lowest. Well, it's the one that I had the least good time at. Okay. Right? So in many ways, I think it's actually better than The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, right? Like, you know... But the other film felt freer, looser, you know. Freer is a good word. Like, it's a, it, I mean, ultimately, that's something that Disney does not have to it, is freedom. Mm. You know, which maybe brings us full circle to the whole question of what Americans love. It, it's something that Disney doesn't have. It's it, it. There is something regimented and controlled, and we have to. It, it, everything seems like it's been done on a whiteboard to fit these demographics and these quadrants. And I think you know. so. Uh, and the film really has that feeling. Yeah, I think so. So, um, I, I would just say that, you know, I, I, I do recommend that people see it. I think it's a film that I see will attract a lot of writing. It's Carla Johansson. She's terrific. It's got a terrific cast, I think. So there are many, many reasons to see it. I just wish it had been a bit better. And a bit earlier. I mean, it's like an overdue course correction. Yes. And it feels almost insulting considering that in the main storyline, Scarlett Johansson's character is dead. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> cold comfort really uh, there you go well thank you very much for listening we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify SoundCloud and YouTube our social media is Facebook and Twitter at eavesdropmovies and our website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com bye 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 <laughs>